Section 16 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arden. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. Modern Gallantry. In comparing modern with ancient manners, we are pleased to compliment ourselves upon the point of gallantry, a certain obsequiousness or deferential respect which we are supposed to pay to females as females. I shall believe that this principle actuates our conduct when I can forget that in the nineteenth century of the era from which we date our civility, we are but just beginning to leave off the very frequent practice of whipping females in public, in common with the coarsest male offenders. I shall believe it to be influential when I can shut my eyes to the fact that in England women are still occasionally hanged. I shall believe in it when actresses are no longer subject to be hissed off a stage by gentlemen. I shall believe in it when Dormont hands a fishwife across the kennel, or assists the apple-woman to pick up her wandering fruit, which some unlucky dray has just dissipated. I shall believe in it when the Dormants in humbler life, who would be thought in their way notable adepts in this refinement, shall act upon it in places where they are not known, or think themselves not observed, when I shall see the traveller for some rich tradesman part with his admired box-coat, to spread it over the defenseless shoulders of the poor woman, who was passing to her parish on the roof of the same stagecoach with him, drenched in the rain, when I shall no longer see a woman standing up in the pit of a London theatre, till she is sick and faint with the exertion, with men about her, seated at their ease, and jeering at her distress, till one that seems to have more manners or conscience than the rest, significantly declares she would be welcome to a seat if she were a little younger and handsomer. Place this dapper warehouse man, or that rider in a circle of their own female acquaintance, and you shall confess that you have not seen a politer bred man in Lothbury. Lastly, I shall begin to believe that there is some such principle influencing our conduct, when more than one half of the drudgery and coarse servitude of the world shall cease to be performed by women. Until that day comes, I shall never believe this boasted point to be anything more than a conventional fiction, a pageant got up between the sexes, in a certain rank, and at a certain time of life in which both find their account equally. I shall even be disposed to rank it among the solitary fictions of life, when in polite circles I shall see the same attentions paid to age as to youth, to homely features as to handsome, to coarse complexions as to clear, to the woman as she is a woman, not as she is a beauty, a fortune, or a title. I shall believe it to be something more than a name when a well-dressed gentleman in a well-dressed company can advert to the topic of female old age without exciting and intending to excite a sneer, when the phrases antiquated virginity and such a one as overstood her market, pronounced in good company, shall raise immediate offence in man or woman that shall hear them spoken. Joseph Pace of Bread Street Hill, merchant and one of the directors of the South Sea Company, the same to whom Edwards, the Shakespeare commentator, has addressed a fine sonnet was the only pattern of consistent gallantry I have met with. He took me under his shelter at an early age, and bestowed some pains upon me. I owe to his precepts and example whatever there is in the man of business, and that is not much, in my composition. It was not his fault that I did not profit more. Though bred a Presbyterian, and brought up a merchant, he was the finest gentleman of his time. He had not one system of attention to females in the drawing-room, and another in the shop or at the stall. I do not mean that he made no distinction. Well, he never lost sight of sex or overlooked it in the casualties of a disadvantageous situation. I have seen him stand bareheaded 
smile, if you please, to a poor servant girl, while she has been inquiring of him the way to some street, in such a posture of unforced civility as neither to embarrass her in the acceptance nor himself in the offer of it. He was no dangler in the common acceptation of the word after women, but he reverenced and upheld in every form in which it came before him womanhood. I have seen him, nay smile not, tenderly escorting a market woman, whom he had encountered in a shower, exalting his umbrella over her poor basket of fruit, that it might receive no damage, with as much carefulness as if she had been a countess. To the reverend form of female eld, he would yield the wall, though it were to an ancient beggar woman, with more ceremony than we can afford to show our grandams. He was the preux chevalier of age. The Sir Calidore, or Sir Tristan, to those who have no Calidores or Tristans to defend them. The roses that are long faded thence still bloom for him, and those withered and yellow cheeks. He was never married, but in his youth he paid his addresses to the beautiful Susan Winstonley, old Winstonley's daughter Clapton, who, dying in the early days of their courtship, confirmed in him the resolution of perpetual bachelorship. It was during their short courtship, he told me, that he had been one day treating his mistress with a profusion of civil speeches, the common gallantries, to which kind of thing she had hitherto manifested no repugnance, but in this instance with no effect. He could not obtain from her a decent acknowledgment in return. She rather seemed to resent his compliments. He could not set it down to caprice, but the lady had always shown herself above that littleness. When he ventured on the following day, finding her a little better humored, to expostulate with her on her coldness of yesterday, she confessed with her usual frankness that she had no sort of dislike to his attentions, that she could even endure some high-flown compliments, that a young woman placed in her situation had a right to expect all sort of civil things said to her, that she hoped she could digest a dose of adulation short of insincerity with as little injury to her humility as most young women, but that a little before he had commenced his compliments, she had overheard him by accident in rather rough language rating a young woman who had not brought home his cravats quite to the appointed time. And she thought to herself, as I am Miss Susan Winstonley, and a young lady, a reputed beauty, and known to be a fortune, I can have my choice of the finest speeches from the mouth of this very fine gentleman who is courting me. But if I had been poor Mary such a one, naming the milliner, and had failed bringing home the, the cravat to the appointed hour, though perhaps I had sat up half the night to forward them, what sort of compliments should I have received then? And my woman's pride came to my assistance, and I thought that if it were only to do me honor, a female like myself might have received handsomer usage, and I was determined not to accept any fine speeches to the compromise of that sex, the belonging to which was after all my strongest claim entitled to them. I think the lady discovered both generosity and a just way of thinking in this rebuke which she gave her lover, and I have sometimes imagined that the uncommon strain of courtesy which through life regulated the actions and behavior of my friend towards all of womankind indiscriminately, owed its happy origin to the seasonable lesson from the lips of his lamented mistress. I wish the whole female world would entertain the same notion of these things that Miss Winstonley showed, and we should see something of the spirit of consistent gallantry, and no longer witness the anomaly of the same man, a pattern of true politeness to a wife, of cold contempt, of rudeness to a sister, the idolater of his female mistress, the disparager and despiser of his no less female aunt, or unfortunate, still female, maiden cousin, just so much respect as a woman derogates from her own sex, in whatever condition placed, her handmaid or dependent, 
She deserves to have diminished from herself on that score, and probably will feel the diminution when youth and beauty and advantages not inseparable from sex shall lose of their attraction. What a woman should demand of a man in courtship, or after it, is first, respect for her as she is a woman, and, next to that, to be respected by him above all other women. But let her stand upon her female character as upon a foundation, and let the attentions incident to individual preference be so many pretty additaments and ornaments, as many and as fanciful as you please, to that main structure. Let her first lesson be, with sweet Susan Winstonley, to reverence her sex. End of section 16 Recording by Arden, 